Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Gene Bresson. And I'm Khadija Bukwakin. <laughs> so we're two, <laughs> <laughs> we're two child and adolescent psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. And today we're going to talk about COVID. <sighs> Sigh. We know everybody's sick of hearing more and more about COVID, and it's really consumed our lives. I mean, you can tell just from the tone of my voice that I'm like sick and tired of this, but it's still super important. Uh, we can't seem to escape it in the news, in the ever-changing protocols in our schools, in our workplace, in our communities. Um, I can't tell you how many times the criteria, you know, the quarantine has changed and coming in to work has changed and doing it virtually has changed. You know, like here at Mass General, it's been it's been very much the same as it is, I guess, everywhere around. Um, but it's for that very reason that we wanted to spend some time talking about it because it's been mentally and emotionally draining, especially for parents and caregivers and for our kids uh, and teens. So in order to keep going, we need to try to manage the burden, these emotions in a healthy, sustainable way and it doesn't feel like it's going to be going away very soon. Khadija, what do you think? No, it, it doesn't feel like it, it feels like it's going to be around a whole lot longer, a whole lot longer than I think anyone ever hoped it would be. Um, and so just even saying that out loud, I'm having this reaction inside. I'm, I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling sad about it uh, and thinking about, you know, continuing this continuing in this pandemic with my, my younger son at home and my older son away at college, just feels a bit overwhelming. Um, and it's feeling like it's becoming a harder and harder balance um, to, to balance the decisions and the choices that we make to stay safe and to stay uh, mentally healthy and sane. Um, and then the tension, there's so much tension, there's so much anger and frustration out there because of all of the different options we have to choose from. And, and again, this fear and the stress about making sure that we make the right choice can, can, be, can be pretty daunting. Um, especially when we don't feel like the choices that we make, we're making, or maybe the choices that people are making around us are not in, in our best interest and they threaten our livelihood. So this, this is creating a lot of frustration and stress. And so we really are hoping, spend a lot of time talking today about putting our own oxygen masks on first so that we can do the same and help our kids do the same for themselves. Yeah. So, and I have uh, eight grandchildren, five of, five of them are in school and it's a week to week uh, epic drama. I mean, testing, exposure, testing, worry, worry about the family members and unvaccinated preschoolers and infants. It's really crazy making. But before we jump into all this, including some tangible tips for our listeners on how to manage. Uh, let's take our own mental health break. So Khadija, let's check in. How has this past week been for you? As, as we delve into this topic, I have to just take a moment to acknowledge that, that how fortunate I am. And, and even though I'm fortunate, I can also say that this has been really, really tough. Um, and so I say all that to say that, that this week has been really great for me because I got a babysitter, which is showing me like a, the light at the other end of the tunnel. Uh, I finally feel like there's hope for me. Um, and a little help goes a long way when it comes to having good childcare. Uh, this is gonna help me take care of myself and help me to be better able to take care of my family. I'm just 
so excited that this happened last week. And so I am feeling incredibly hopeful. I'm feeling super motivated um, and I'm feeling grateful to be able to be in the position to put this in place for myself. Again, recognizing that many people aren't able to do that for, for many different reasons. So how, how about you? What, what, is, what has your past week been like? I've tried to, um, I mean, even though I talk with my uh, kids and grandchildren all the time, I've found a way to um, carve out some time for me to um, play a lot more piano, which I think has been an incredibly valuable distraction, even though it's incredibly stress stressful and painful because I'm trying to learn new stuff that I've never done before. But it's, you know, it's kind of, this week has been kind of pretty cool because you know, I'm learning jazz piano and I'm, I'm studying with, with the guy who plays for the Pops, um, Ben Cook, who's just a wonderful teacher. Um, and you know how, you know how when you're learning something, you just, you can't kind of break through, break through. You can't, you can't get anywhere. You're not getting anywhere. And then you have a breakthrough. So this week, actually, I had some breakthroughs that really felt good. And that was, that's, that's encouraging <laughs> because it's a lot of work. Okay. So let's now, let's, let's look at COVID and let's, let's look at some tips and guidance we can kind of share. Uh, let's talk about how to manage our emotions, uh, but parents and kids are struggling uh, and, and, and how we can manage risk, uh, but also keep living our lives. So, Khadija, where, where should we start? We want to keep living our lives. So, so in keeping with our motto, the starting point has to be putting on your own oxygen mask first in order to support your kids. And I would love to start by quoting this, um, a piece I just read in The Atlantic. It came out on January 20th, and it's called COVID Parenting Has Passed the Point of Absurdity. And I think it sums up almost exactly so many of the emotions that, that you and I are going to try to address today. So, so just humor me for a minute as I read um, a couple of quotes from the article. Uh, so to start, it says, parents in the United States are living through a universally terrible moment. It goes on to say, for me, what's especially hard is that I thought it was all getting better. My family could finally exhale, but you know, that scene in every horror movie when the main character shoots the bad guy, cries in relief that it's all over and walks away and you yell, only appropriate, Gene, as it's your birthday to give you the gift of saying what will be yelled. Do you want to yell that next part for us? And, and what I yell is, <laughs> no, damn it. You have to check that he's dead <laughs> because that zombie comes back and starts eating people. So, you know, I mean, just check it out. <laughs> okay, good job, good job, good job. Uh, so, so the article goes on to read, well, we're the, we're the tragic hero and the coronavirus got right back up again. It got right back up and then it stabbed us in the heart. It goes on to say, it's hard to know what quote unquote good parenting is when you have to make decisions like this. When you find yourself grieving the choices you have to keep to make to keep your family and community safe. So there's obviously a lot more and you can find the article in the in, in our media list. But I just wanted to start with that because I just it just really resonated with me as a parent and as someone, you know, of the human race dealing with, with the 
this ongoing, unrelenting pandemic. And I think it's right on point. You know, uh, all all of the strategies we're going to we talk about today apply to the whole family, to the kids and the teens who have their own fears and concerns, but also to the anger and frustration all of us are working so hard to deal with to help support our kids' well-being. So let's let's tackle. I think the two primary emotions that come out uh, here, uh, fear and anger. And, and let's just start with, um, with managing fear. Uh, so <clears throat> the fear, the big question I think is, how do you exercise healthy decision-making when we're constantly afraid? And we have to be safe in the choices that we make, but we can't let the fear dictate our lives. Khadija, any tips? So what's emotional, what's an emotionally healthy response to managing our fears and decisions that we make because of our fears and in response to our fears? And so some of the tips that we that we talk about in terms of how we can do that is really starts with controlling our own anxiety. Uh, and controlling our own anxiety, there, there are many ways that you can go about doing this. One, one way we, we really stress is to make sure you're getting credible information, make sure that you're you're vetting your resources, make sure that you are um, also in the same vein, not overdoing it. So not inundating yourself with you know social media and news outlets um, and finding that balance. Another great tip um, for managing fear and, and navigating the risk related to our decisions is make sure that you talk to other people. Like we're not we're not doing this all on our own. Other people are struggling in the same way that we are, are, are managing similar decisions that, that we're managing. So, so take a moment and talk to people that you trust and that, that support you. You can also, you know, Google things online, see how other people manage some of the, the things that you're going through. You know, obviously take it into consideration in terms of what works best for you and your family, how it aligns with your priorities and values. But we don't really have to reinvent the wheel on a lot of these things because we're not doing this alone. And it can feel really isolating and, and overwhelming to think that we're having to create each step um, from scratch. So, so those would be the two of the, the, the biggest tips that I would say just in general in terms of controlling um, our anger and managing our anxiety. And, and I'd, say, I'd say, you know, I mean, as we've said a number of times, you know, we humans are pack animals. Uh, so we need each other. We need each other's support. Um, uh, the, the other thing uh, about managing the fear is also, uh, you know, taking care of ourselves. And that is don't forget, pay attention to your sleep and your exercise and your diet and the things that actually help you um, control anxiety. You know, for some people it's listening to music, like for me, I mean, I have it on all the time. But for other people, it's reading, it's journaling, it's it's writing, it's drawing, it's it's using creative arts. You know, there's lots of ways of, of managing fear. Uh, but let me let me uh, move towards the kids. Um, so when we're looking at fear in kids, and we want to help help them, you know, modify their fears, control them. The first tip I would give for that is talk talk with them. Ask them what they're afraid of. I mean, find out what they know, what they're worried about, uh, what their fear is coming from. And the second thing that comes right after that is validating their fears and concerns, even if, if you think that they're kind of silly or uh, misguided or whatever. 
uh, it's what they're experiencing and they need to feel that they're being heard and they're being seen and that their fears are real because that way they'll certainly make a connection with you. Uh, be available for questions and, you know, just as the theme of our of the Clay Center for the next year is conversations, is have frequent conversations. I mean, this is a marathon. We all know that. It's not a sprint. And uh, the conversations about fear and about reassurance are going to happen over and over and over again in various different ways. Uh, providing reassurance. I mean, once we know what they're afraid of and we're having conversations, we can provide reassurance. I mean, and uh, there's a lot of ways of doing that. I mean, what one way of doing that that we've talked about in other podcasts is the use of narratives. I mean, all of our families are going through hard times. Kids love family stories. And, you know, remember when we lost power? Remember when we lost, when, when the floods hit the house and we had to leave? You know, the, all kinds of family stories that the kids will relate to. And we got through it. Uh, and, um, and I would say the other, the final thing is to think developmentally. The way you're going to allay the fear of a toddler is going to be TLC, spending time with them, cuddling with them, playing with them, because they're going to be responding to your emotions. A school-age kid, you know, is different. They're thinking in black and white terms, you know, and reassuring them that the scientists and the doctors and the healthcare professionals are all working really super hard to um, help us out and to kind of help us get through this. And for adolescents who are older, more nuanced conversations, they know probably a hell of a lot more about COVID than we do. Um, they could tell us what, MR, what, what, what mRNA vaccines are, really are all about. You know, for them, I would, um, I would really talk with them in, in, in more sophisticated terms. One final thing that, that, that goes without saying here is um, turn off the media. You know, uh, we're all flooded with uh, COVID, 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 COVID. It's too much. So especially for the younger kids, every home is flooded with smartphones and tablets and TVs and computers and, uh, and just take some time to shut it off. With teenagers, though, I would watch some of it with them to actually use that as a springboard for conversation. So now what about managing anger and conflict? So that's another roller coaster ride we're on, and it's been exhausting. So, Khadija, let me ask you: Why do we get angry? What's going on in our brain when we react with strong emotion? Anger, anger is based on the same part of the brain that that fear is. So the amygdala. Um, it's our fight or flight, and so we can get angry when we're really anxious and afraid. Um, some people have an anger response to that. Um, it's, it's really complex. Um, typically, you know, when I, the other thing I say to people is when it's really, when you have a really, really intense emotion, sometimes it is something that might be historical in terms of, it might remind you of something from your past, or it, it just might be, uh, what do they say, like when it's hysterical, it's historical, like it, it might be something that maybe is not related to the, the, the situation presently, but it might be something that you're bringing into the situation. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, first of all, the amygdala is the seat of both fear and anger. That's fight or flight. Um, and so you either run away or you uh, get 
you know, pissed off and get ready to fight. And it's connected to the limbic system, uh, which is the seat of kind of uh, memories, recent memories and remote memories. And as, as we move up into the brain, it gets processed uh, in what's called the orbitofrontal cortex. That's the part of the brain that's right behind your eyeballs, which integrates a lot of things. What's fascinating about fear and anger is, as you said, we all have past experiences, we all have memories, we all have things that trigger us. And um, uh, if we're fortunate to let the emotions move up to the higher center, to the orbitofrontal cortex, we actually can lengthen the fuse and process things in a rational way and not act impulsively. But if we don't and we're short-circuited, then we can act on then we act on impulse, and um, one of the reasons why teenagers act so much impulsively is because these these connections between the lower centers, the amygdala, and the higher centers, the prefrontal orbital, the orbital prefrontal cortex, um, haven't really made those those connections established, and actually that occurs between fourteen and twenty six, um, and so they're oh. driven they're driven. I said, whoa, I have a long time. My youngest is 13. <laughs> that gets us into the whole issue, which, yeah. we, which we should probably talk about, about when kids become, when adolescence ends, because there's a whole new, you know, I mean, it's not just when you turn 18, because 18, right. things are just beginning to get established. Right. But if all goes well and we're able to process our emotions and let reason and rationale and logic and experience uh, rule, then we can not act on impulse and, and do kind of stupid things that often teenagers <laughs> and, and some adults <laughs> will do. So other things about anger, Khadija? I guess if we're, if we're thinking about the topic today and thinking about anger as it relates to COVID, there are really two major buckets that people are struggling with um, currently. And so that's that external anger where they're struggling with being angry about things that are outside of their home. So whether it's the news or other people outside of their home and then there's family related anger, which is obviously stemming from having anger related to people who are inside of your household. And so especially I think as we think about the family related anger it's where it can really get dicey you can turn off the TV, you can decide to create some distance from someone who, you know, you don't feel so aligned with, um, and you can create some space, which is not always the case and not always so easy to do when it comes to people who are in your family. Um, and just coming out of the holiday season, uh, more and more I'm hearing about a lot of this more family-related anger. Um, and so a lot of people have experienced a lot of that over the holidays with the gatherings and having to make a lot of these, like we talked about, these really intense charged decisions about um, things related to safety, related to precautions, related to process um, that people just don't agree on, whether they're inside your family or outside of their family. But it's just harder, it seems, when, when you're dealing with it related to family members. So let's, let's give some basic tips. Um, um, some basic tips for anger guidance. Um, uh, you know, uh, I would say there are a number of them. First of all, know when you're angry. 
you know, it sounds like it, it sounds like everybody knows when they were angry, but you know, some people just get 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 furious and aren't in touch with how angry they are, um, and it's both physical and and emotional. Uh, but you need to know when you're um, when you're angry, and you need to be able to control that. Uh, one of the ways of doing that is identifying triggers. We all have our things that piss us off, you know, whether it's waiting in a long line or, uh, or road rage, you know, getting cut off by some crazy driver. Um, uh, but we all have our triggers. So knowing the, the triggers and, and another, another tip is to, um, to, to control your thoughts. I mean, when you're angry, you typically have, uh, thoughts about doing things, about uh, decisions, uh, and sometimes they're ruled by the emotion. So you can control your thoughts if they're exaggerated, if they're distorted, if they're catastrophic. You can bring them down to a rational level. Uh, and and in on our you know uh, on our website we talk about cognitive behavior therapy, which actually is a really important tool for controlling cognitions or thoughts that, that get in our way. Um, other things, Khadija? Other things we can think about in terms of managing our anger are things like relaxation techniques. Um, and it really is what makes you relax. So it, it, it's, you know, this big things about, you know, yoga and stretching and, and, and uh, meditation, and that, that might not be your cup of tea. So what, what is it that makes you relax? And we want to be mindful that the key here is, some, is to engage in healthy techniques and strategies. So we do want to refrain from doing things like reaching for alcohol and substances. While they can make you feel relaxed in the short term, they can develop, you can develop really, really bad habits that can be very difficult to break and dangerous. So we, we want to really emphasize uh, the healthy habits that we want you to establish in terms of trying to uh, manage your anger. Uh, one of the other things that we talked about and you kind of mentioned is, is lengthening your cues. And that's one that I use often. And it really serves everyone involved well when we can kind of put a buffer between what we're thinking, how we're feeling and how we, how we act or react. Um, and so something that I do often is I, if I'm feeling particularly annoyed or if I'm feeling particularly angry, I'll type out an email or, or a response to a text message and I'll just let it sit there. And so letting it sit there is me creating that buffer, lengthening my fuse. And then I'll go back to it and I'll look at it and I'll typically, you know, update it, amend it, which means for me, I'm taking out some of the anger and venom. Um, and then I'll send it. And it's a much more productive email or text message. It, it, it allows for a much more um, healthy conversation and engagement. Oftentimes, when I go back and read it, I say to myself, it's not even worth sending. So I actually just delete it altogether. But again, really creating that fuse allows you to approach and address a really intense, fiery situation in a more, in, the, in that kind of like calm mind that you talked about, that wise mind that you kind of spoke about earlier, Gene, as opposed to that emotional mind where things just get out of hand and it becomes a forest fire. So those are two that I really like to use. Um, and other things that you can do to lengthen your fuse, you could do things like take a break, um, walk away from a conversation. You can distract yourself from what's making you angry so that you can, again, find a more calmer headspace so that you can react in a way that's going to be productive. Uh, I think another one that I 
like a lot is using humor. If I'm really pissed, um, all I have to do is kind of like, you know, watch some old SNL. Uh, I remember one night uh, when I was really upset about COVID, um, I uh, pulled up the best of John Belushi, who could get pretty angry. I mean, you know, Samurai, you know, uh, Delicatessen. What, I mean, a lot of the stuff, you know, the bees, uh, killer bees. I mean, but, you know, when you think about it, humor really helps with fear, with anger, with, with uncomfortable emotions. Um, it, it's, 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 for many of us, I think it's, it's really a good, a good thing to do. Uh, another, another thing is, is, is how, how do we manage conflict uh, and how do we control conflict? And, and I think that's a whole area. Conflict resolution is really important. Um, and, and, we have to remember as parents and caregivers the way we resolve conflict and then the way we resolve conflict with our kids is super important. And the kids are watching us and they're watching how we do it, uh, how we resolve it with each other as, as uh, adults and, and how we do it with them as kids. Uh, so conflict resolution is, is really important, especially if, if, if there's something that was done that makes somebody really angry. Uh, if we can be done in a non-judgmental, civilized way that that shows respect and that shows understanding, but that acknowledges that there is a difference of opinion and um, we're going to manage it. That's I think that's another important thing to, to take a look at. And and I think to your point, you know, we're we're talking about managing conflict and managing emotions and and feelings of anger. And we're talking about a family system, which, you know, it, it could be, you know, adults being angry with adults. And we also have to think about the dynamic of adults being angry with kids and kids being angry with adults, because just as adults don't see eye to eye on these same things of what's safe and what's not safe and what precautions are we going to take, kids and kids and adults aren't seeing eye to eye on, on things as well. You know, why can't I go out and hang out and why can't, you know, so-and-so come over and so it creates a lot of room for conflict. And, and if we approach it in a way that you said, which is civilized, it goes much further and we can often reach a place of resolution. And I really think at the core, just approaching it in the sense of everyone is doing the best they can and, and, and giving everyone the benefit of the doubt, because then that allows you to approach the situation um, not defensively, without an agenda, you're, you're listening to be able to understand and you're listening so that you truly have an idea of what the other person's points are, what, what they feel strongly about um, and, and why they feel that way, which again, allows more of a platform for you to be able to have a, an open dialogue that doesn't feel so tense and so uh, transactional, whereas I'm trying to score points and you're trying to score points and someone's trying to win. Um, but I think it, at the core, if we could just take the approach that you know, giving everyone the benefit of the doubt that, that everyone wants what's best for, for each other, uh, that can also go a long way, changing your mindset. And sometimes we screw up. Uh, believe me, I've been there. Uh, and as a parent or caregiver, you, you kind of lash out or you do something which is uh, uh, inappropriate. And it's so important to 
take accountability and responsibility for screaming at a kid, let's say, and apologizing. We're really important role models for them. You know, when siblings are fighting, you know, um, separating them, helping people. You know, the reason for timeout, for example, are not punishments. There are times when punishments are called for. A timeout is really, we're going to take a break from what's happened just now and say, uh, we're going to take some, a timeout so that we can kind of like reflect on what just happened and then talk about it and have conversations and process it. And I think that model of dealing with uh, uh, problems when they go awry, when some actions take place that are not acceptable, are, uh, are really important. Are there other, other points you want to make, Khadija? Well, I guess that makes me think about one of these, one of these areas of specifically of, of, of anger that families are grappling with as it relates to COVID. And, and I'm hearing about this more and more as this pandemic is, is prolonged because again, people are having to make decisions. Um, and so people are now struggling with feeling angry at other loved ones for getting them sick. And people are, maybe the people who have gotten someone sick, they're, they're feeling guilty about having, you know, brought the virus home. Uh, and so I guess you, you mentioned um, timeouts and how do we uh, address other people's feelings when we've maybe done something wrong. And so I guess I'm thinking about how do we help people grapple with those emotions, that, that kind of worst case scenario where they've gotten someone sick or where maybe I feel that you were careless or you were inconsiderate in your decision making, which is why now we're all sick at home. So now I'm angry with you. So I just thinking about how can we help families with those specific issues that are happening more and more in the homes? Yeah, well, you know, in all families, things don't always go right. Hopefully they go right more than they go wrong. But when they go wrong, uh, I think it's really important for us as families to process what happened without being judgmental to kind of um, understand it and to make it a learning experience so that things like that won't happen again. Now, interestingly, and I think importantly, uh, the worst thing to do is to have, is to say, okay, now we're having a family meeting. And then the kids like to either roll their eyes or run away. Cause no one wants a family meeting. Like who wants a family meeting? You know, I don't want a family meeting. So processing things that go wrong can happen in between the cracks. And, and having conversations over and over again and little bits of conversations uh, about things that have gone wrong can be, can be really important. So, uh, uh, I, I hope this has been a helpful conversation. Uh, and um, to wrap up, let's end on a positive note because this has been such... Uh, a stressful uh, conversation. The conversation wasn't stressful. The topic was stressful. <laughs> I didn't the, feel stressed. The, stre <laughs> the topic was stressful, but hopefully our conversation will allow it to feel less stressful as they go and have these conversations at home. Yeah. So that is the hope. Yeah, that is the hope. Um, and that's the hope with all conversations. So to move into the world of the positive, 
What's something you're looking forward to over the next week or so, Khadija? I'm going to say it again. I'm looking forward to some open time in my schedule so that I can take care of myself and take care of some of my basic needs. Like, you know, I'm just now looking down at my nails. Again, this is not like a luxury, but, you know, maybe I just could, you know, I could cut my nails down. Or, you know, maybe I can, you know, read a book. Imagine that I could read a book, you know, for, for pleasure. Like there's there's been no time for anything. And I'm just so excited and so hopeful about even if it's a sliver of time that I'll acquire, I'm so excited. I'm sorry. Okay, so what are you excited about? <laughs> um, well, this was a, a birthday week for me and for uh, my wife. Uh, one, one day apart, but a couple of years. The family's been kind of like, last night we all played uh, on Zoom, this this really cool game called Cosmic Wimp Out, which kind of like is a relic of the 60s, I guess. I don't know when it was invented. Uh, the whole family was on. We're trying to figure out some time uh, when it's safe enough to kind of like get outside and, and take a walk. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to to doing that because that's that's one one way we can all be together, but we can we can actually do it in a safe in a safe fashion. Well, thanks everybody. We hope that our conversation helps you to have yours. I'm Jean Baresson. I'm Kadija Booth Watkins, and we will see you next time.